0: Dylan Overdyke is candidating this weekend for the role of youth and young adults pastor here in our church. This is kind of the last step in something that's been going on for several months with multiple interviews and all kinds of things like that. He spent the weekend with us in different venues. Dylan is a recent grad of Vanguard Bible College And he just completed a one-year internship at our St. Albert Alliance Church, where he worked and served in many different areas, but with a focus in youth and young adults. And we're going to invite Dylan to come. He's going to bring God's word to us this morning, and I'm going to pray for him as he does that. You know, for some reason, um, I'm not really sure why, but I'm feeling quite short and profoundly bald this morning. (laughs) So, yeah. Anyway, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, it's a holy calling to open your word. And so we pray for the spirit of God to fall upon Dylan. Father, as we go through this process with him, we've asked lots of questions. We've done this and that. But we've been saying all along, really the only question that matters is, God, what would you have us do? And then we will move very deliberately in that direction. And so there's great comfort in that. There's great excitement in that. And so we pray now as he brings and opens your word, just speak to our hearts in very personal ways as he does that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, amen.
1: Thing on. Hello. Hey, there we go. Awesome. This is the anointed preaching platform. It's anointed because I saw Pastor Aaron scrubbing it down with Johnson & Johnson's baby oil a little while ago. Um, So, this is going to be great. Um, Yeah. Okay. Notifications and fun stuff. Um, Yeah. My name is Dylan Overdyke. I am from St. Albert Alliance, which is, or St. Albert, which is just a little city northwest of Edmonton. Um, It's about a five-hour drive down here to Lethbridge. Uh, I'm about 6'3", and I'm sure like all the other tall people in the audience, you can all say that, yes, the weather is nice up here. Um, I also enjoy all kinds of foods. Um, All kinds of foods. So, if I enjoy all kinds of foods, that means I also need to work out, or else something happens down here. Um, When I was 17, I actually played hockey for the Kootenai Ice in the WHL. So, your Lethbridge Hurricanes rival, played them lots. And uh, as we traveled from Cranbrook, B.C. to Lethbridge, Alberta, we would go through Krozeness Pass, and we'd stop at this bar called Pure Country for our pregame meal. And I remember so many times stopping for the Saturday game and seeing this bar packed with bar participants doing the various activities that a bar has. Uh, But one of the things that I always thought of when I was downing my pregame mashed potatoes was, I'm too young to be here. I was 17, and as you know, the age of majority in Alberta is 18. And so as a 17-year-old, I was allowed to be in this bar, pure country, all because of the stipulation that I was a WHL hockey player. I thought about all the other instances this took place. And actually, the most wild one to me is when we went down to Spokane to play the Chiefs. We would stop at this other weird country bar. But what was outrageous about that is the the age of majority in the United States is 21. And so not a single person on my hockey team was old enough or allowed to be in there. 24 adolescents and young men, seemingly out of place. Somewhere we shouldn't have been, but because of a certain stipulation, we were allowed to be there. See, I've gotten the opportunity to meet a bunch of you uh, over this past few days, and I remember um, only like a few of your names, so I'm sorry. But um, it's been an absolute privilege, um, and from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you so much for your hospitality and your kindness towards me. Like, it's something so otherworldly about Um, Christian hospitality, and then especially yours too. Um, I've felt so welcomed and I've enjoyed my time. So yeah, like uh, Pastor Scott said, I'm doing this thing called candidating, which uh, in my notes here, I have this all is one word dashed up. uh, Pretending like I am on staff for a weekend to see the practical elements of interpersonal interactions with staff, students, and yourselves. That's all one word. Um, So if all goes well, or rather went well, I would become your next youth and young adults pastor. Uh, But today, I'm going to be talking about some of the ways God puts stipulations on those who choose to follow him. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn or swipe to 1 Timothy 4. I'll be reading out of the NLT. And so as you're turning, just a little bit of context. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, Paul is sending his first letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. Um, and this section of Scripture we're talking about is right after Paul is addressing some of these things that false teachers were bringing up. Like, you know, they were saying, like, oh, it's really bad to, eat, to, to be married. And it's really bad to eat certain foods um, and all that fun stuff. And so Paul makes this point by actually saying, like, no... Actually, both of those things are really good because the things that God makes are good and therefore, they're intrinsically good. But before changing the pace to address Timothy in the section we're gonna be talking about, Paul says this in verses four and five. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it but receive it with thanks. For we know that it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. So Paul here is saying, hey church, there's no stipulation on the things God creates as being good. Or that is the only stipulation. we know that God's word and prayer, which is essentially speaking with God, confirms these things. It lets us know that these things are true. That is why Paul starts off this next section this way. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. One who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. You see, the first stipulation God puts on those who choose to follow him is a standard of living. This means that those who choose to follow Jesus live a life of conviction and consequence. And like me, you probably hear those words and you go, those aren't really good things still, and I don't really like conviction or consequence. And I, I, yeah, I think those terms have been kind of tainted though. You see, conviction is this courtroom term you hear of when someone is convicted of a crime. You never hear someone's convicted of, you know, being the best at making brownies or something like that. But it's usually used in a negative way. And when you hear the term consequence, is usually tainted from when you were a child, right? If you ate too many brownies, there was a consequence, you'd probably end up throwing up. Unless you're me, I can eat like 400, easy. Um, but what if I told you conviction from God is something far greater, and the life of consequence that Jesus offers is far more life-giving and rewarding than just this basis of avoiding bad things. You see Romans 8, 1 Says, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So, in order, to, in order to understand godly conviction and consequence, we must understand that it actually doesn't mean condemnation. A godly conviction is an attitude or perspective in which you pray and act God's will over your life, which in essence um, means that consequence means that your actions actually matter, right? Like consequence, the things you do actually matters, which means that you actually matter. And you're not just this randomly assembled, uh, you know, um, source of atoms that just came together. No, but you actually have a purpose and the consequences of your actions matter. And they don't just matter to God, but they matter to the people around you as well. You are God's workmanship. And you're created to do amazing things. And you are uh, a being who is loved far beyond anything you could ever comprehend. So, side note uh, some people's convictions may be different. Um, someone may be convicted not to listen to Justin Bieber, others may not. I'm a huge believer. I uh, <laughs> go to all of his concerts, <laughs> I don't think he comes to Lethbridge. But um, you see, and generations may have different convictions as well. Um, So just a a quick poll of the audience. How many of you weren't allowed to go to the movie theater growing up? I see a few hands, right? Thou shall not go see Toy Story 3. Uh, Now I'm treating your experience with a little bit of sarcasm, potentially inappropriate humor, but I think it's important to mention. um, So yeah, let's pause there. Most scholars agree that when Timothy first joined Paul, cause you know, Timothy was the, uh, you could say a, like a kind of disciple of Paul. Like he followed Paul around while Paul was doing his ministry trips and fun things like that. And so when Timothy first joined Paul, he was about 21 years old. That's when most scholars uh, say Timothy joined Paul. And over the next 16 years, Timothy would follow Paul and pretty much do everything he did. And eventually he would be established as the lead pastor of the church of Ephesus. Uh, So here's the reason why it's important uh, and what it has to do with the stipulations God puts on us. Back when I was the ripe old age of 21, I felt like I knew everything, or not, not everything, but most things. It was my first year of Bible college and if you've ever talked to a first year Bible college student, they can be aggressive um, I was overly concerned with things that, that didn't actually matter. But during that time, I was so caught up with these things that it was like, you know, um, and it wasn't specific doctrines or theological stances I had strong opinions on, but it was this standard of living that Jesus gives. As you see, when Jesus died on the cross, you and I were given a new shot and a new chance to live in freedom. And actually, people who haven't accepted that yet are also given that shot. And so, uh, not to go and you know, keep doing wrong, but to live a life in pursuit of the one who sets you free in the first place. However, as you may know, uh, there are still yeah, many people that don't assent to this, who have not accepted Jesus as Lord. And I made the mistake of trying to push my standard of living Onto those people, onto the people that God put in my life, not to um, impose my moral or ethical standards and um, values, but to just love and care for and be compassionate towards. I tried to impose my ethics on those around me, and of course it didn't work well. I don't know if you've ever tried that. It definitely doesn't go good. So in light of that, Paul is saying, this is what I believe Paul is getting at, Uh, He continues in verse 7 by saying, hey, you are set free from the law of sin of death. Teach people to do the same thing. And also, I know it's tempting to get caught up in the arguments of the world right now. It's tempting to bag on your country's leadership. It's tempting to be angry at certain people groups because of their political beliefs or agendas. But Paul is saying, no, yeah, young Timothy, stop. Don't waste your time on that. Train yourself to be more like Jesus, following the convictions he's given you, and live a life of consequence. The second way God puts a stipulation on those who choose to follow him is that our physical, earthly bodies aren't forever. Paul continues in verse 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Teach these things, and insist that everyone learn them. Uh, in January, I said I, I said I work out. In January, I wanted to be able to bench 300 pounds by June. And depending on your knowledge uh, or understanding of you know, resistance training and weightlifting, that may sound insane or actually really feasible to you. Um, but what made this goal actually very challenging, is in December, I dislocated my left shoulder. Um, me and one of my friends were wrestling. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm getting up off the floor and out my shoulder went. Um, if, you've if you've ever dislocated anything before, you understand like it's not a pleasant feeling by any means. Um, and so after I dislocated it, I was like, trying to figure out what was wrong with my arm. I couldn't really move it. Um, my friend's like, dude, what happened? What'd you do? What'd you do? I'm like sitting there, like aching, and th- my shoulders in throbbing pain, and I don't really know what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know, man. So I just drove home, and uh, <laughs> and this was really tough because I drive stick shift. So <laughs> <laughs> um, when I got home, I like, I don't know. I tried to, you know, when whenever you get hurt as a kid, you just, oh, sleep it off, sleep it off. So I <laughs> I tried to go to bed and sleep it off. Uh, But probably around midnight, I ended up not being able to sleep it off. Uh, And I was so tired and sore, and my arm was so immovable, and so I'm like, ah, I gotta do something. So, I googled, how to reset your shoulder. (laughs) And uh, I was looking at it, and I was like, ah, that kind of looks like it might hurt a little bit too bad. And so, but we're gonna try it anyways. And so, I kind of did this weird thing where I grabbed my arm, and I put it, I laid on my back on my bed, and I grabbed my arm and I put it up against my wall because my walls up, bed's up against the wall. And what I did is I was, took a deep breath and I just pushed up against the wall as hard as I could. Well, I heard a pop and all of a sudden like, oh, that doesn't feel terrible anymore. Uh, so I reset my shoulder by myself, uh, which isn't a good thing. I went to the hospital the next day at 7 a.m., uh, told them what had happened and they called me an idiot. Um, (laughs) they did a bunch of x-rays and sent me for a uh, ultrasound to see what was wrong see if i had any like rotator cuff problems i probably did but because of covid and stuff there's it was all backed up and i did this in december and the next ultrasound would have been a month ago that would have been the next scheduled so if i have anything wrong with my rotator cuff we'll never find out um (laughs) You're not supposed to reset your shoulder. Uh, yeah, if I did do it wrong, they actually would have had to re-dislocate it because you can pinch a nerve. And so, you know, by the grace of God, we are, we're okay, we're fine. Um, and I tell you this story because Paul here is saying, yeah, like physical training, it's not all that it is. Um, your body will fail you. And I'm sure as many of you know, like your body... Will fail you. But take heart, because your body failing you is not the end of the story. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a firm believer, like 30 minutes of exercise five times a week, that's only two and a half hours of exercise in a 168 hour span. Get your heart health ready, you know, like do things, get yourself out there, get active. But Paul here is also saying, the reason we work the, the reason we work at Training for Godliness, which keep in mind, he also said Is a struggle is because our hope is not in what we can do physically, but our hope is in the living God who is eternal and not actually physical. And He's the Savior of all people, like we have heard uh, with our baptism. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God does care about our physical beings, and He is working in creation, to redeem our body, soul, and spirit. But God cares a lot more about who we are becoming. And there's this thing that uh, we say at my home church, St. Albert Alliance, and it is that um, it is not about who we are, but it is, who we, it is about who we are becoming. And this is what brings me to my, the final way in which God puts a stipulation on those who choose to follow him. And that it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're willing to listen and do what God tells you to, you will do amazing things. Whether that is bringing hope and healing into someone's life, redeeming your neighborhood through acts of service, helping someone who is struggling at school, work, or home, helping someone with an addiction. If you're willing to be used by God to do amazing things, he will use you to do amazing things. I've seen it with my own eyes. And this is why Paul finishes off this section of scripture with the most famous, overly quoted Sunday school verse out there, verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. The truth is, you know, you will always be younger or older to someone else. And God cares more about your obedience than how old you are. I've seen prayer circles formed in old folks' homes with dementia patients. I've seen um, children going door-to-door, and I'm not saying like, maybe maybe door-to-door isn't what God's calling you to do, but I've seen children going door-to-door and asking their neighbors, hey, like, do you know Jesus? Jesus has changed my life. He's done amazing things. So it doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80 years old, God wants to use you. And if you think about it, uh, God chose a bunch of, or Jesus, chose a bunch of pretentious, goofy, young, adult, young men to be his disciples. And if you had to choose anybody to follow you around for three years, if you read the Gospels, those dudes don't really sound too, too awesome. However, if they're in, in Catholic theology, they're known as the patron saints. I can guarantee you, you know, like any of these clowns, probably wouldn't be it. That's the cool thing. God knew the trajectory of the 12 disciples' lives. And yeah, whether you're eight or 80, whether you're a goofy young man or, um, you know, suit and tie shined up this morning, he wants to use you. Hosea 6 6 says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. See, God's heart for you is to see you filled with the freedom that comes from walking in step with the Holy Spirit. At the, this point, when Paul was sending this letter to him, he's speaking to a 30-something-year-old-ish Timothy, and yet he's still calling him young. And as your next potential youth and young adults pastor, wouldn't it be incredibly powerful to see our teens and young adults of this church of our next generation being fully committed to what Jesus is doing in their lives in Lethbridge and around the world. What's cool about this is that actually we all get to be involved in this. You see, in Paul's next letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, this is what he says actually at the very beginning of the letter. I remember your faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I know the same faith continues strong in you. So let's be that, those people that model the genuine faith for our next generation. Let's encourage and spur on those both younger and older than us to love and good deeds. You see, the stipulation of my hockey team being able to eat in a bunch of bars all over the United States and Canada was that we were a bunch of valued young men and teenagers. But how much more value does your life have? And how much more value are you to God when you're being obedient to Jesus than simply, you know, being able to get into a sports bar when you're underage? So I'd actually like to finish with a little bit of a, a practical piece. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads with me if you can. And uh, I believe that Jesus speaks. Um, just as much today as he did 2,000 years ago. And so I'm gonna ask him a question and you're just gonna listen. Jesus, what is one area in our lives, in my life, that I need to be obedient to you? So, one thing, um, if you didn't hear anything, that's okay. Um, God speaks in in many different ways, through people, through pictures, through sounds, sights. He does speak through words as well. And he is calling you on to something greater, all of us in this room right now. And so I just encourage you, if you didn't hear anything, that's not the end. God still wants to speak with you. Um, And he wants to show you the next steps forward, in your walk with him. And so I encourage you, um, just being obedient and and following and listening to Jesus is one of the most uh, life-giving and fruitful things that you could ever do at any point during your earthly life. So with that, the band is up. We're going to sing one more song, and uh, we're going to get out of here. So I'm just going to quickly pray. And then, uh, yeah, the band will start. So Father, thank you so much again for today. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you have called us on to a greater standard of living. That you place stipulations on our lives, but all of these stipulations are actually great things. And Lord, as we go from this place, let us not forget these things. Let us earnestly take them on and encourage each other and spur each other on to the obedience that you've called us to. Because you love us, Father, you first demonstrated your love to us. Now help us demonstrate our love to you back. Lord, help us love each other as well, even when it gets hard. Help us spur each other on to love and good deeds. Thank you so much for your grace again. We love you thank, and thank you again. And all of Jesus and, or sorry, all of God's people said, amen.